Enough is now known that you can't get the best medical care unless you address what's happening in your mind and your anxiety. And I would see the value we would bring. And we measure our outcomes and I would see that we are reducing anxiety, we are reducing distress. And I just thought, wow, where can you go every day and literally positively impact people's lives who are probably going through the most challenging time in their life. And it was humbling. Hey everyone, welcome to Nonprofit on the Rocks. My name is Matt Kamen. I am the host of this fine, fine podcast and also one of the founders of Envision Consulting, which we will talk a little bit about on the show. But until then, I'd like to introduce you to our All Right producer. I'm gonna give you All Right today, not mediocre. Ashley Watterson, how you doing today, Ashley? I'm doing All Right because I'm trying to figure out if All Right is a step up or is it a lateral move? I like lateral moves for you. I do. I like lateral moves for you. And I'm going to tell our listener why. I feel like there's only so much room for improvement you have, right? Capacity-wise, I feel like that's a fair statement, right? With your pickleball and your husband's beard and all the other things that you have to do because he really should trim that beard. Seriously, Ashley, his beard is way too long. I keep that beard in check. Matt, put it this way. If he had his brothers, he'd look like ZZ Top. Okay, so the fact that he looks how he does is because I've managed to keep the beard in check. So I have a question for you because you did bring up pickleball and I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about pickleball because I could do that. But I did want to say that something big has happened for me personally in 2024. And that is that I am now ranked as a 5.0 in pickleball, which is like really high for an amateur status. And that's a goal for me. But here's my question, Matt. And this is sort of where it becomes less about pickleball specific and more just about when you reach goals. And this is why I want you to weigh in. Like, what do I do now? Because here I am, right? I've made it to my goal. Like, this is something I've been working for. Here I am. And now I'm kind of nervous because like, where do I go from here? What happens when you reach your goals? Like when you reach the unattainable, can we talk about that for a second? Like maybe you have thoughts. I love this question, Ashley. And by the way, truly, congratulations. I don't know anything about pickleball, but that sounds amazing. So congratulations, my friend. You're truly impressive. But I also understand that you're taking so much time reaching that goal that you're not reaching any of our goals. (laughs) That's why the show has really taken a nosedive. Because Mm -hmm. there's only so much of my time that can be divided. But, But yeah, so back to the question, what do I do? So my advice is that you just enjoy it. Like you've reached your goal and now don't even pay attention to whether or not you're a 5.0 or whatever it is. Now just enjoy it. This is what, you know, we try to do working at Envision Consulting. Like we're, we've reached our goal in LA. We are kicking butt. We are doing recruiting and doing strategy. And we are known, like we are known in California as like the recruiting firm for nonprofits. That's amazing. So now our job is to truly enjoy it. And like now go and kick ass across the country. So I think that's your answer is enjoy yourself. You did it. You made it. Like, congratulations. Thanks, bud. I loved the pivot back to what we do at Envision. Like that was brilliant. And listener, I didn't even set him up for that. Like he made that pivot on his own. Now, I will say a little different because for Envision, like the growth can go anywhere, right? Like for our podcast, we set goals for ourselves, right? We're aiming for world domination here, Matt. We have to take out the churchy podcast. Those are the ones that are like the juggernauts that we're aiming for. I think the number one and number two and like number three podcasts in this country in nonprofit are churches. 
I'm not saying that I don't believe and have a deep, deep belief in the higher power, but like maybe this podcast can be number one just once. Just make us number one just once. That's not too much to ask. It's not. It's not. And it's interesting that we're talking about goals and stuff because I do think January is a time when people tend to set with resolutions, goals for themselves. And I think what you've reminded me is one, when you reach your goal, enjoy it for sure. Take that time to appreciate it. But two, and this is true for our podcast, for the work at Envision and for all of us personally, like reaching a goal doesn't mean we stop, right? Like we find new goals. So, you know, within Pickleball, I'm sure I will find new goals and places that I want to push myself personally. But I love that. Thank you for sort of answering the question the way you did, because it reminded me that we should enjoy the goals that we reach, but then also remember to just keep progressing in whatever way that means. And I will give you an honest answer that if it were me and I reached my goal in pickleball, then my next goal would be to only play against hot guys. Like any <laughs> move now moving forward, like if I'm going to play pickleball anymore and I'm so amazing, I will only play against hot guys. And should they want to go topless, who am I to tell them not to? I, I don't know how pickleball works, but I'm assuming there have to be, there have to be an enormous amount of hot guys playing. I'm not sure how my husband would feel if I made that my goal, but I like that, Matt, because, you know, you're thinking outside the box. Mm -hmm. it's, I love that about you. It's what makes you such a good consultant, honestly. Yes. Thank you. Always, always thinking about hot guys and bringing it back to the podcast. You were talking about January goals, and I am so proud to say, as the listener is let into this show, that I, Matt Kamen, broke Patricia's January goal. I won't share what that means until you listen to the show, but I'm proud to say, Ashley, that I broke her January goal. And that's all I want to say. Ah, that's right. I know now what you're talking about. And I will let the listener discover for themselves what that means as they listen to the episode. We don't like to give away too much in these intro teasers. Yeah, Patricia Osteller, phenomenal as always. Matt, let me ask you this. Do we find the best guests or are people in nonprofit all just exceptional? Or number three, is it because of the podcast host's amazing ability to ask phenomenal questions? Is that the reason why they seem so amazing? I'm going to say it's all three. I may be leaning toward number three. And I'm hoping that our listener enjoys this podcast with our friend, Patricia Osteler. Hello, Patricia Osteler. How are you doing this evening? Hi, Matt. I'm doing great this evening. Happy New Year. Yes, that's right. Happy 2024. We're already like mid-January, which is nuts. The year's like already flying by. I hate it. So as we do on this show, since it is Nonprofit on the Rocks, what are you drinking tonight for happy hour? Well, I have to tell you, everyone's doing this dry January. So I, I know, I know. I was doing the dry January until today because, Matt, I'm a team player. And so I am drinking my favorite drink, which is a gin and tonic with made with Hendrix. Nice. That makes me so happy that I broke a dry <laughs> January. Thank you, Patricia, for joining me with some brown. Cheers to you. All right. Yeah. Cheers, Matt. Here we go. Hmm. To a very happy, healthy, and prosperous new year. That's right. That's what we want make that happen. So we had a lot of people write us about finances, mm -hmm. fundraising, and board 
fun. And so we'll kind of throughout the show, talk a little bit about, you know, some of the questions that we got. And mm -hmm. I'd love your like sage advice because there's some really great questions that our audience has asked. All and right. again, like anytime that any of our listener and we do have the one listener, and let me tell you, she asks a lot of questions Can think about some other things out there. I'd love it if you would send in your questions uh, for next uh, our next show, any questions you want. So on that note, Patricia, I would love it if you can just tell our audience, why in the world did you choose to be a CEO of a nonprofit? <laughs> Well, I didn't grow up thinking that's what I was going to be. That's for sure. I was born in Gary, Indiana. I was one of four daughters. Our names are Alicia, Patricia, Letitia, and Felicia. And that's the truth. And our parents were Tom and Barb. <laughs> so my dad was a lawyer and he didn't have any sons. And he said, you can do whatever you want to do, daughters. And I am a lawyer by trade. Went to college at Northwestern University, went to law school at Loyola Law School here in L.A., and started practicing law for a big law firm. And it was great, right, initially. But I was also starting to have my children. And I remember when my son was four, my daughter was two, and I wasn't home for dinner with them. I mean, this was a big firm, and we were working long hours, and I just thought, I don't want this for the rest of my life. So I moved on to work for a federal judge mm -hmm. as his career law clerk, and that helped. It gave me government hours. But when I was doing that, I was also a new parent at a school here in Altadena, and I got involved as a parent volunteer, and I was on their development committee. And I thought, that is a good skill to learn. How do you ask for money for a cause that's important to you? So I learned it, and I liked it. And when that school's development director was leaving, I got a call from her and I said, now don't laugh, but I think I want your job. So long story short, I talked with the head of school, I became the development director and I've been in development ever since. And this job here at Cancer Support Community, I've been here uh, since 2015, is by far the culmination of all I hoped my profession would be in terms of, I'm an educated person, I bring skills to the nonprofit arena, Sometimes people just fall into nonprofits, you know, and I think you need to have business skills. You need to have speaking skills. You need to have writing skills. You need to have finance skills. So to start here in 2015 and to still be here today now as its CEO, I was first the development director. I'm just thrilled. I'm doing good work for our community. I'm using my skills to do it. And I hope to be here until I retire. I love that story, but I want you to know that the first thing that popped into my mind when you said you wanted a work-life balance was I kind of laughed a little bit because in nonprofit, oh. there is no such thing as work-life balance. No, so, there's not. You, there's not. And you left a government job that I assume probably had some kind of pension plan and like really yes. good insurance. Okay. Okay, Matt, you're bringing back some memories I don't want to remember. You're right. right. You're absolutely right. Not. And like, and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to go over to nonprofit and make no money and work 80 hour weeks. Yes. But yeah. you know, we yeah. need people like you. So I appreciate that. You went from fundraising to now being the CEO of an amazing organization we'll talk about in later on the show. But I'm I'm curious when you had the opportunity to become a CEO from the development director, was there anything that gave you pause where you're like, I don't know if I want to take that on or anything that you thought maybe this is not for me? Oh, yes, Absolutely. I don't really particularly like planning events 
And although we have a fantastic director of events now, I just knew from my predecessor who was very involved in events that I'd probably have to be involved in that, right? You're involved kind of in everything, but that's a lesson you don't want to get into the weeds and everything. So I was a little reticent because of that. And also I have worked in the nonprofit arena for decades now, and I have worked with a variety of boards and we, we all know that there are great boards, there are mediocre boards, there are boards that micromanage, there are boards that govern policy. And I just wasn't sure this particular composition was the right board for me. Also, I was elected to be the, it was then executive director, they've changed my name to CEO, 10 days into the pandemic. Okay, so it was March, 2020. So we were pivoting our on per, our in-person programs, no more, learning Zoom. What in the world is a virtual gala? Nobody knew. I remember sitting with my program officer because I would come into the office, everybody else was working at home. And I would say, should we, should we turn off the heat? Should we just use space heaters? I mean, we all have to remember what it was like then. We knew nothing. So you you took over a nonprofit as CEO as we were going into COVID. That's insane. I realized it feels like COVID was like a generation ago. It feels like a lifetime ago, right? Like as you're talking about it, I'm getting PTSD about all that. <laughs> but when you when you were like, yeah, sure, I'll take this job going into the pandemic. I mean, were you like, so just out of curiosity, were you like, this is going to last like two weeks and then we're going to go back to normal? I mean, was there any part of you that thought maybe this is going to take a little bit of time? No, I really, at the, at the beginning, I didn't think it was going to go on as long as it went on. Here's the deal. My predecessor had some health issues, so she had to retire or she wanted to retire and she's healthy and happy and it's all good. Um, I was asked by the staff to please throw your name into the hat. Please do it. And there was a, a gentleman who's a major donor of ours to this day who I have a lot of respect for. And he just said, why in the world aren't you doing this? I said, well, there's some board issues. And he said, you can create your own board. You're going to be the ED, the CEO for years. And it really was him that said, because I really respected this guy that I said, all right, let's, let's throw my hat into the ring. And, and here we are right now, in addition to that, Matt, so we're getting COVID and virtual Zoom and it's all going beautifully, it really was. It's a credit to our facilitators who learned this, this virtual existence. Then we learned that when our lease expires, we have to move because our landlord needed the space for their operations. Fair enough, right? But I learned this news at the beginning of the pandemic and I just said, whoa, stop, stop, stop. So I just couldn't process that. I was just trying to survive, right, as a nonprofit. So I brought that news to our executive committee. I didn't bring it to the entire board. And the executive committee agreed, okay, let's just, we have two more years before our lease is up. Let's just sit on that news right now. Let's let's survive this 2020. And in 2021, we'll start looking. So we started in 2021 looking for another place to lease. And then an incredible director said, I'm not going to support this if you lease again. I am tired of seeing programs disrupted. We've been here for 32 years. We need to own. So, of course, the rest of the directors said, yay, let's do it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. We have the biggest amount of money we had ever raised in one chunk was $400,000. And through our research and everything we did with this campaign, 
we needed to raise $3.75 million. But that wonderful director, she and her husband were a lead donor at a million. And we did, we used best practices and we moved on. And today I sit here in our new facility in Sierra Madre. We moved in July, we raised $3.8 million, 250 donors who I'm incredibly grateful to because they appreciate our mission. And so now in January of 2024, I hope I can just be a CEO and not have a pandemic and not have a a campaign and not have construction. That's my hope. But from what people are telling me, it's, it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> okay. okay. I need to just, we need to, we need to back up for a minute. So, because I don't think people who are listening to this just understood what you just said and how amazing that is. So you became CEO, COVID happens and life shuts down. Your lease is coming to an end. You have a board member who's like, no, let's just let's just buy a building. Sure, how hard can that be? And the most amount of money that you had ever raised in like one one uh, time was four hundred thousand dollars, and you needed about four million dollars to move. And you were like, what the hell? Let's just do it. Um, and here you are in your new space. By the way, so fast after you did that campaign. Congratulations. Thank you. Maybe we can do like a quick. A quick 101. So Ashley likes to call this our Matt's Plane Across America. And so we're going to actually do a Patricia Splane Across America. Tell us, just like in a nutshell, how a capital campaign works. Okay. A capital campaign, you've got to be prepared and you've got to use best practices. In my opinion, we followed best practices to the rule and we succeeded. So you, in a nutshell, you got this goal. We had a need. We had a case. We had to move. We serve over a thousand people who are facing cancer. We've got to get into a new place. You do a feasibility study. You look at your data, your donors' data. What can your donors giving support? We hired a consultant and quickly we learned that we can probably support a 4.5 is what she concluded. We took it down to 3.75 just because it's better to be conservative. and We didn't want to fail. Your board has to be 100% involved. If some of your listeners think that you can do this without 100% participation of your board, you can't. We have an amazing board of directors here at Cancer Support Community. Every single one of them gave in the beginning. So after we had them and we had our transformative million dollar donor, we went to three to four other angels who gave uh, six figure gifts. We had enough to buy the property, right? 30% down, bought the property. Then you go to your public phase. That's all private. And we just, we worked it every way you can work it. We had a steering committee. We assigned donors. We solicited. We had press releases. We had weekly meetings. We were diligent. Um, and that paid off. Then we raised the money. We had to do construction. So we still had a little bit more money to raise. So during construction, we invited prospective donors to come and look at the construction. We take them across the street after their tour for a meal, a drink, and the ask. And thankfully, they said yes. I mean, these people, I, I just, I'm, I can't thank them enough. The donors here in the greater Pasadena area who, who said it's important what you're doing. And now I'm so happy to report the very end of our campaign. We reached out to two foundations because we realized, you know what? We can get another 100,000. We can install solar panels on our roof. and 
reduce our utility bills, which are huge in the summers here in Pasadena or Sierra Madre. And we got it. And so we're uh, in March, we'll be um, installing solar panels. So it, it's just textbook. Don't skip steps is what I would say. But also, I think the reason why it worked is I've been here so long that our donors knew me. If I was a brand new ED or CEO to that point, right in 2020, they were looking for an outside person because I hadn't said I was going, I was interested. But had I not done it, I wonder how it would have evolved because the donors know me. They mm -hmm. know that, as you said, I, I work all the time, but I love it. I think we're doing so much good. So, you know, it's a good job. So, I mean, first of all, again, like, I know how you roll it out and best practices and this, that, and the other and follow the rule book, but like, it doesn't always happen. So congratulations, first of all, that's a huge, huge deal. I think one of the questions that people always ask is, when you're doing a capital campaign, you're focusing on fundraising for something brand new that isn't part of your budget. You still need to, however, fundraise for your budget. So I think one of the biggest questions is how do you keep the fundraising going on what you actually need to survive on your operations budget yeah. and not take away from that to do this capital campaign? Excellent question. Two answers there. Number one, we were pretty methodical. And we had our doubters who thought you can't do both, but we were pretty methodical in that we would look at our donors, our larger donors and say, could they do both? Could they give to our operating budget and to our campaign? Or are they just so excited about this campaign? We just got to ship to the campaign for them. Or you know what? They love program. We're going to keep them. So it was tedious. But we, we really looked at each donor and decided which bucket to put them in. And then our development associate had a brilliant idea. We have a lot of foundation funders who support operations. And she said, what do we have to lose by going to them and saying, hey, this is a once in a generation ask. We are building, renovating from scratch a new building. We will never have to move again. We don't want to jeopardize your $15,000 grant for operations. But would your board consider a capital grant that you could pay over five years? And she raised, I think, over $650,000 from about eight or nine foundations who did both. Again, they know us. I've been here a long time. She's been here a long time. They trust us. It's so gratifying to be able to tell our donors or show our donors. We had our grand opening in August. This is what we came to you with our ask, and it was a big ask, but we did it. We did it in spades. And so in terms of building credibility and trust with your donors, we did what we said we were going to do. That's really incredible. Really incredible. Thank you for that. I do think that there are some organizations that are blessed and are lucky. And there are some organizations that no matter how hard they try, they're just not going to do it. And I don't really know the magic sauce, the magic ingredient, but it sounds to me, you're it. You know your community. I know CEOs don't like to take credit, but I do not believe that if you were not there, this would happen. So you can you can tell me all the things you want about how it's your team and everybody did it together <laughs> and that's fine. But I hope you know how much of an impact you made. That's a huge deal. So congratulations. Thank you, Matt. That's nice to hear because I was just going to 
give it all back to the team and the donors. And I still think they were key, but thank you. Of course, of course. That's our job as CEO. Our job right. as CEO is to thank the team and never take credit for anything. Right. But and that's fine. You don't have to, and nobody can get mad at you. I am giving you the credit. So <laughs> I think what I'd like to do is I want to start asking some questions from our audience and then uh, go back to you. But before I do, I do have a question that I know comes up a lot. You know, a big part of what we do is recruiting and we do uh, searches for a ton of executive directors for a ton of different missions. If you look at your career, you've done some really great work. You started in legal and government and then moved over to fundraising and you were in schools, like in private schools, and then moved over to cancer support. So my question is, what is it about this organization, cancer support, that gave you the drive, the passion to want to be its CEO? And, and and I want to just follow up with that really quickly because it's so different than the other places you were at before. Absolutely. So how did you decide that this organization, this mission spoke to you that made sense for you to take over? That's a great question. I think mo most everyone's been impacted by cancer, right? E e personally or someone you know, your family, your friends, your colleagues. And I had worked at schools. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of education and I, st I still am. I think when I received a call out of the blue from the then two or three predecessors before me that they were looking for a development director at Cancer Sport Community, I said, you know, I, I'm intrigued because I've never worked for a nonprofit other, I've just worked for private schools, right? So when I came over and I learned about what this organization does, and I hadn't heard of it. That's one of our problems. 33 years later, still so many people don't hear about it. I just thought I can, I can help here. My father passed away from cancer. Uh, and I have friends who were impacted by cancer. And I just thought, I want to check this out. So I started here and I, and I just started talking to our participants these are not only patients who have cancer, but they are caregivers, right? They are husbands and wives supporting each other. They are children who have a loved one with cancer. They are survivors who have gotten through it, but still need some support. And then there are those who are bereaved, who've lost someone. And what blew me away was how positive, I mean, maybe just to me, maybe not in their support groups where you've got the tears and all the emotions, that's confidential, but they found inspiration just by finding cancer support community. And then the more I read and researched about what we do providing psychosocial care, that it really is evidence-based. I mean, enough is now known that even though you can go to a hospital and we've got great hospitals around here and get stellar medical care, you can't get the best medical care unless you address what's happening in your mind and your anxiety and you have been diagnosed with this devastating disease. And I would see the value we would bring and we measure our outcomes. And I would see that we are reducing anxiety. We are reducing distress. And I just thought, wow, where, where can you go every day and literally positively impact people's lives who are probably going through the most challenging time in their life. And it was humbling. You know, we all think we've got problems when you see this and you see their attitude it just puts things in perspective. So, and also I will say that it all just kind of came together. You know, the work I had done at schools, you know, dabbled in campaign work, 
dabbled in plan giving, dabbled in direct mail appeal, writing grants. It all came together because I'm not 25 years old anymore, right? So all my skill sets came together here. You know, we all look for value and purpose in our life. And I think I have that. And when I retire years from now, I can say I had that. And that was important to me to do something impactful. Do you think that people can be CEOs of a nonprofit that do good work, right? But that they're not as passionate as you are about, about your cause. Do you think people could be a CEO of a nonprofit they're not as passionate about? I'm honestly going to say no. Yeah. I get so many comments from people who say, whoa, I hear your passion. I mean, like chill a little bit, but I think that's key. I, I don't think you can... I mean, you're in a nonprofit because you want to do good. You're not in here for the compensation, right? So you can be a business person. You can be a lawyer. You can be a real estate lawyer and make great money and help people with real estate, which is what I did initially. But I wasn't passionate about that. It was a great education, great money, helped me get a house as a young person. But no, I think you have to be passionate about what you're doing in the nonprofit arena. I agree. Okay. Let me ask you our first question, which I love, makes me really happy. I think this is a toughie. So good luck. The <laughs> first question is from a guy named Phil, who is in Ohio in Cleveland. And he said, my board chair wants me to kick our biggest donor off the board because she doesn't show up for meetings. And I have no desire to do that. What should I do? Number one, I'd just be curious what that number is. But aside from that, I do not think that person should be kicked off the board. And I'll give you our example. We had this amazing director and her husband who gave us $1 million. And at first they were going to give us 500000 And I said, hey, if you want us to do this size of a campaign, we need a million dollar donor. And I want to give you the first opportunity. And they jumped at it. So... If she misses a board meeting, she gets a pass. We wouldn't be where we, we are today. Now, if she missed all four board meetings, we meet once a quarter, I would probably say, hey, could you try to show up to one? But that was such a transformative gift mm -hmm. that there is no way I would kick her off the board. So I, I think the director who's suggesting that person be kicked off is short-sighted. It kind of goes to like give or get, give and get. And I think you set a policy, right? And you you need to hold your directors accountable, but there may be exceptions. There may be someone who is out in the community and is doing exactly what you wished more board directors did, but he or she can't make that amount. So there are exceptions, but I don't think exceptions should be the rule. I think you start with the policy and then if someone has a situation, they go to the board president and they talk about it. Agreed. I would actually, you know, if it were me, what I would say to that board member or board chair is, hey, I'm happy to kick this person off the board as long as you're happy to write the check that they normally do. And right, right. My assumption would be they'd be like, no. And no. Then you're so, so this is really interesting, right? So being a CEO, being an executive director, you do need the support of your board. And if half your board are major donors and don't show up, but they write you huge checks, which you need, right, to meet your budget, mm -hmm. and the other half shows up and just keeps complaining about that side, 
okay, Patricia, you need the money. You need those donors. I'm going to throw in, throw in a wrench. So that half of your board that gives you all the money that you need, you can't kick them off because if you kick them off the board, they'd stop giving. So what in the world do you do? How do you deal with your other side of the board? That's like, we're doing all the work and still meeting our give get. And those folks aren't doing anything, but they're writing you all these checks. We don't want this to happen anymore. How do you deal with that? Uh, well, the way you framed that, that's not fair. It's, I mean, not, not, <laughs> not the way you framed it, but I mean, if you have 20 people on your board and 10 write you big checks, but don't come to meetings and 10 do all the work and meet their give and get, that's not correct. If it were 10 members, I, I would talk to all 10 of them because it's got to be equitable. So it's a balancing act, right? If it's one, give her a pass. If it's 10, this is not healthy for the board and board dynamics. Here at Cancer Sport Community in 2024, we're strengthening our accountability. Um, for many years, everyone knew what they were supposed to give and some did and some didn't and some said they would, but then they didn't. And it's not right. And I know they're volunteers, right? I know they're volunteers. But if you want a seat on this board, then you should be committed to what are the three things? Time, treasure, and talent. So I was just finalizing our policy that we'll take to the board on January 31st. And I wanted to give and get. And we're going to do a give or get because that's what our directors, the executive portion of the executive committee want. Um, but I'm actually proposing that our directors sign a little contract that, yes, in 2024, I will donate $5,000. We're increasing our amount. It used to be 3,500 for about 20 years. Come on, we, we've got to get with the world. And you can either give that from your own funds if you have those resources, or you can get it. But if you get it, you still got to give a hundred bucks because I've got foundation funders that want to know if everybody personally gives. And I want to honestly say yes. And I think by having them sign a contract, just like I have them sign their conflict of interest and their whistleblower, they can't say, well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So we are trying to be politely a little more accountable because it's just not fair to those who are doing it all. I love that so much. And again, again, this is another Patricia's <laughs> plane across the country. So I do think a board contract is really important. And I do agree with you. There should be a give and a get. And mm -hmm. every foundation wants every board member to give. So you're right. Even if it's a check for $100, it's still something meaningful. So I love that. And I think... You know, anybody who's listening, if you have not heard of a board contract or have not even thought about it, really good idea. Yeah. And I think that's great. How do you hold your board members accountable? So if you had a board member who signed that contract and then didn't fulfill the give get, how do you now hold them? And I'm making this hypothetical because obviously if your board's listening, I don't want anybody to get mad at you. But hypothetically, <laughs> how would you hold that board member accountable if they did not meet their give get, but they signed the contract? Right. Okay, we're doing something new in 2024 that I think your listeners would would like. We have created a scorecard. Mm -hmm. This was not my idea, but it was a great idea that someone, another ED at a CSC across the country said. And the scorecard I'm going to hand out at our first board meeting, January 31st. We meet four times a year. And it says who you are, how long have you been on the board, what committees are you assigned to, 
When does your term end? We definitely have term limits. And what have you given in dollars or, or gotten in dollars in the first quarter? Okay, we're just beginning, right? And we're gonna do that for all four quarters. And then what have you, as far as your get goes, in this box, write who you're working on, who you're trying to bring to a gala, who you're trying to bring to a tour and hopefully will support a direct mail appeal. And at the second board meeting of the year in April, privately, everyone gets this privately, they're not shared, of course not. Everyone takes a look at it and says, oh, it's April. I haven't even given my $100. Oh, and also committee attendance. Oh, I missed that first meeting. I better make the next one. There's only four committee meetings. So we give them a whole year opportunity to do their job or explain why they couldn't. I, I get it. You've got your work comes first or you've got someone sick or you're on vacation. Okay. Sure. Then at the end of the year, in November, December, our board president and the chair of our nominating and governance meet with the folks. I think this year they might have called and they say, hey, the year's almost ending here's where you are. Can we count on you to fulfill this by December 31? Now, the question is, what if someone hasn't fulfilled it? I think in January of 2024, that board president has to say, hey, you said you would have it to us. You looked me in the eye. If there's something going on, you know, if it's private or personal, if you can just give me a little heads up, if you're in financial struggles, but I don't think that person should continue to be on the board, especially if they, no matter how much I love that person, if they told our board president and our chair of our nominating committee, I'm going to give, and they don't, and they don't even explain it. And that might seem harsh, but here's where I go back to the other 19 people on the board. They all did it. They made it work. So you know, there's a lot of people that want to, to be on our board and I just don't, yeah, I, I think you've got to hold them accountable. And if it means perhaps this isn't the best time for you to serve on our board, that's, you put it in beautiful language, right? But you have to think of your others. You're tough, Patricia. I love it though. I agree with you. At the end of the day, joining a board is important and you are a volunteer, but at the same time, you are liable and there are things that you have to do. And so if you do have board members that aren't doing their job, that aren't actually kind of showing up and doing what they should be doing, then I think at the end of the day, yes, you need to have them step down. And we will be right back. Are you a board board member? A challenged chairperson? or an exhausted executive tired of training and retraining and retraining and, well, you get it. Fear not, we've got the remedy you never knew you needed. Introducing Cause Coaching by Envision Consulting, because even boards need a little therapy sometimes. After countless hours of decoding the board member enigma with hundreds of nonprofits across the country, we proudly present a subscription-based board recruiting and development tool that's even more brilliant than our last brainchild, CauseCupid. Picture this, personal coaching sessions that make your board problems shrink faster than your inbox after a spam purge. Live training sessions that are more helpful than GPS in a corn maze. Video and resource libraries so extensive, they'll make your Netflix queue jealous. And if that's not enough, 
you'll also get exclusive access to CauseCupid Mixers, the board matching equivalent of FarmersOnly.com. Subscribe now to Cause Coaching and watch your board transform from a group of ineffective amateurs to a powerhouse team of nonprofit virtuosos. Visit EnvisionNonprofit.com and let the journey to excellence begin. Warning, side effects may include increased productivity and efficiency, enhanced fundraising success, improved governance, stronger relationships, adaptability to change, and talent attraction and retention. And now back to the show. It's a privilege to serve on a board, right? And you earn it because of your expertise, because of your passion for the mission, for all the reasons. And most nonprofits run such a tight budget. I mean, it's ridiculous how much I scrutinize each line item, but every dollar counts. And I also want to be a good steward of our donors' money. So on that note, you talked about line items and line items were my next question. One of our listeners, her name is Elena, and she wrote us from Miami. I love, love, love that we're in Miami. So her question is, how do I convince my board that their job is to help me meet the fundraising line item? And when she's talking about a line item, I'm assuming she's talking about individual donors. Again, I, I think if you choose to serve on a nonprofit's board, fundraising has to be top of mind. You don't have to be just a fundraising board. But why do we put you on our board? Generally, you have a network, right? You know people as well as your compassion for the organization and your skill set. But you know people. And how do we bring in new donors besides the staff's effort without you all trying? You're not just on the board to give your time and your talent. And, and I have a director who, who that's why he's on this board because he's such a leader, but he also doubles his financial minimum. I mean, he's a great giver as well. So I here's what I think from just thinking back 20, 30 years, and I've served on other boards. You have to be straight up. When you are interviewing a board member and they put in their application, and you've asked the right questions, and you're thinking of putting them for a full vote, you have to say to them over lunch or coffee, now our board minimum is $5,000, and our board members hit that. Do you have any concerns about giving or getting a total of $5,000? And then you're gonna have this new contract that we're just doing in 2024. But I think so often nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about that. And I've had board presidents who have said, eh, I don't care if they give or get, just bring in the money. And that, that's, I guess, where I'm coming down to. But the point is, if you don't tell them, they don't know what to expect. And doing a contract, then it's in writing. They're, they can't say, I didn't know that. I just don't see any way around it. I've been on boards where people, the presidents had the notion that, I want them for other reasons, but I still think you got to give something. You got to have some skin in the game, right? So you just have to communicate. It's amazing how communication in that area is is so weak. And and again, why? You're not asking for money for yourself, Matt. You're not saying you got to give me five thousand dollars. No, 
you're asking it for the cause. I, I tell directors that who are reticent about fundraising, you're not asking for yourself. You are volunteering your time to ask for something that's going to help people who are ill in your shared community. Don't be ashamed of that. And if they say no, someone told me this, well, no kind of means not now, but you just have to get comfortable with it. That's our third Patricia Splain across the country tonight is <laughs> if somebody says no, it really just means not now. And by the way, that's true. Yeah. Anytime that you fundraise, and I do think, you know, in all the retreats that I've ever done and, and all of the board members that I've ever met, I do think the biggest fear, most like discomfort is fundraising. And honestly, I think fundraising is great. It's my favorite thing to do, but I get it. And you're right. When board members ask for money, if you get the answer, no, it doesn't mean no. It just mm -hmm. means not now. Don't give up yeah. and don't stop fundraising. So yeah, right. I appreciate that question. Okay, our next question. This one, good luck with, because I don't actually have the answer for you. So this, this question comes from Kate. And Kate is emailing us from San Francisco. I love it up there. And her question is, my board chair hates my development director, but I love her. And my board chair really doesn't want her to be there any longer, but I love her. What do I do? To me, that's easy. That's not your board chair's decision. You are the CEO. You are responsible for hiring and firing your staff. That is not for them to do. Now, I assume this development director is producing, right? She's doing her job. And if she's doing her job, it really doesn't matter if the board chair doesn't like her. He is out of his area. He shouldn't be micromanaging the hires of, of a staff. I fully agree. So how do you then deal with board members who are in the weeds, right? Like, I'll make it just a little bit complicated, okay? Let's say that your biggest donor, which gives you half your budget, which is unfair. Again, I'm giving you unfair situations. Yes, you are. <laughs> Such unfair situations. Okay, the biggest donor gives you half of your budget, is on your board, and is the biggest pain in the ass. Oh my God, the biggest pain in the ass bothers you every day, tries to micromanage, bothers your staff, all of the above. But is your biggest donor half of your budget? How do you handle that? If I were put in that position... I kind of one time was almost put in that position, but I wasn't the CEO then. I have my staff's back and I have this organization's back and I'm not going to succumb to this donor who, yes, he or she gives me half my budget, but something's wrong there. You shouldn't have one donor giving you half your budget. And I would talk nicely to this donor and say, this cannot continue. And I would actually have to explain this to the board chair and hopefully have his buy-in or her buy-in, but that's not healthy. That is not healthy for you're going to lose your staff. And I've experienced that where I almost did lose some staff. There's no integrity there. There's no integrity. And I think you have to have values as a leader and you have to have your staffs back. And I would have a discussion. And if the person got upset or refused to step down, then I would go to the board and the executive committee. And hopefully they would agree with me and just say, you know what, we'll be fine. I mean, because someday that donor is going to leave. Some day that donor is going to stop giving. So I just think you have to, you have to do the right thing. Yeah. Sometimes there's a little gray areas here and there, but I, I think as a leader, you have to have integrity, honesty, Defend your staff if they're worthy of defense and let the chips fall where they may because you're doing the right thing.
I love that answer. That's perfect. So I would love it if you answer two last questions and I want you to be able to share about cancer support. So the first is, we talked a little bit about being a CEO and we have a ton of people who listen to this who aren't and want to be in all that great stuff. So in terms of being a leader, without getting you in trouble, what's your least favorite thing about being yeah. the CEO? Yeah, I know that answer. For me, it's the HR. It, it, I don't have um, an HR person. I have a fabulous consultant who I can call out. We have a small uh, administrative team and I just, I don't like being the HR person because inevitably someone who I think is happy is not. And, and even though I have an open door policy, they're not coming to me to tell me because if they tell me, I can make it right. I know at least I can try my hardest to make it right. As my HR consultant said to me, Patricia, they love you until they don't. Right. <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, that's really good. And sometimes I feel that I bend over backwards to give staff so much flexibility and days off and free lunches. And then sometimes it just kind of backfires. I'm like, why do I do this? So I'm being really honest here. And I would say this to the staff, but it's hard. And then one person said to me, Patricia, the only constant in business is change. Mm. So you can't take it so personally when people leave or people are upset. It's And also I will say, and I would say this in front of the staff, I mean, I'm not a millennial by any means. And we have a, a lot of young staff and we have some older staff. But boy, especially after the pandemic, things are different. Millennials' mindset, I don't mean to make a generalization, so forgive me, don't judge, but their mindset about work is different than my mindset when I was their age, right? So I try to work with them. And one of the things, for example, like everyone worked remotely during the pandemic, and I, I bring people back, communities in our name, we're tiny, I need you. But I have given everyone gets one day a week to work at home and it's a set day and you can't change it. And that, like I gave on that because I hear you, right? So I don't know what the answer is for HR, but you just have to reiterate that your door is open. And when you have an annual review, instead of them just nodding their heads, you have to use the right questions. For example, a mentor of mine taught me this. At the annual review, you tell them what their salary is gonna be for the next year, right? and they nod their heads. She said, ask them, is what we're proposing to pay you in 2024, in your mind, fair and reasonable for the tasks we're asking you to do? Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you if it's on top of the grid and whoa, you're just bringing in the money, but I'm, and I'm surely not paying you below market, but is it fair and reasonable? And then you just pause and be quiet. They have to tell you how they're feeling. And so I've just incorporated that into my year-end reviews, and that's helpful. I love that. I absolutely love that. I think we're going to do that. That's yet again. Look at all these nuggets that yeah. you're uh, sharing. That's actually <laughs> so amazing. So I I agree with you. I I think HR is impossible, and I think you know we are only as strong, but also as as toxic as our staff. And so it is one of those things that I do think. You know, anybody who says they love HR, anybody who says, oh my God, it's my favorite thing in the world. I don't buy it. No. It is 
it is hard. And especially you're right, coming back from the pandemic and I think people not wanting to come back to the office, I don't think that's fair. And whether it's a millennial thing or a Gen X thing or whatever it is, I, I do not believe it's fair. And I think that if we in the nonprofit space expect our line staff to show up, if we expect our mm -hmm. caseworkers to show up, if yeah. we expect our janitors to show up, we are yeah. no better. And I know people don't that's like a, it when I say that. No, that's a great point. That's a great analogy. I'll probably use that. Okay, that's your least favorite thing. What is your favorite thing about being a CEO? I guess my favorite thing personally and professionally is being able to be the one who, who sits in the chair, who has a vision, talks with her staff for sure to get buy-in critiques, refine it, and then we put that plan in action and we work hard and we're disciplined and we get the help of volunteers and directors and all the above, but we accomplish it. I mean, to take an idea to fruition, whether it be this building or we have this group called the Benefactor Society that we created out of thin air in 2017. It's our major donor society and two levels of giving, 10,000 and 20,000. And to see those donors see why it's important. These donors have great resources and great hearts and see why it's important each year to give either 10,000 or 20,000 unrestricted and to see them enjoy each other's company and to see that society come to fruition out of a thought and help the organization. I guess that's what I like is being able to have a vision and accomplish it with the help of a lot of people. I'm actually surprised that, that no one's ever asked you that question. We all know the answer of what's our least favorite part of the job. Yeah. We all know that. Yes. But the, the, we come to work for a reason. And I do agree with you too. I think for a CEO or a leader of any nonprofit, it is the vision and that strategy, but also doing it. Like, like mm -hmm. you don't get to do programming as a CEO. You don't. You don't get to interact with the clients as much as you would like to. But mm -hmm. the vision and doing it, I agree with you. That's yeah. what we're going. Yeah. And by the way, nobody ever mentions their board and nobody ever mentions <laughs> like finances. I got to just give a shout out to our board because I, I do love them. But yeah, someone else told me once, if you like 80% of your job for profit or nonprofit, you are in good shape. There yep. is always going to be 20% of your job you're not going to like. And so I kind of live by that. I, start, I probably like more than 80% of my job, but yeah, doing an annual budget and kind of that stuff and the HR stuff. No, it's not my favorite, but it's what I get paid to do. Yeah, that's know? what we have to do. So tell, please tell our listeners about cancer support. Tell us a little bit about what you do and why they should give. Great. Well, first of all, the listeners don't sign off because you hear the word cancer. Sometimes when you hear the word cancer, you're like, Ugh, I'm walking away. Stay with me for the end because everyone's been impacted by cancer, right? So Cancer Support Community is an international organization. We have offices like ours here in Sierra Madre across the country and in a few other countries. And what we do in a nutshell is we supplement medical treatment. People are going to their hospitals, getting their chemo, their radiation and all of the above, but doctors are busy and social workers are overworked. Who is taking care of their emotional needs, their anxiety, their worries, right? We are. Everything we offer to over 1,100 people, that was a record for us in 2023 who came through our doors, plus thousands more that we reach at community fairs. Everybody that comes in our doors knows they don't have to pay 
for anything. We have professionally facilitated support groups, an hour and a half for weekly and monthly. We have educational workshops put on by these wonderful doctors who come to us and give us a free seminar on immunotherapy or targeted therapies or cancer and genetics. We have healthy lifestyle classes, yoga, Pilates. Our new place has the most gorgeous workout room with mirrors and bars. Because maybe you're dealing with cancer, you're losing your hair, you don't want to go to your local gym, right? So you can come to us. Nobody cares that you're losing your hair. And if you've had surgery, we have instructors who know how to work with your arms and work, work with you. We have one-on-one -on -one counseling, eight free sessions, and we all know the pandemic has really raised private therapist rates. And if something you're looking for we, we don't have... We have a resource or a referral, and we have social activities. We have great comedy nights, professional comedians who come in, who you've seen on television and make you laugh and make you forget about cancer. Why should you give? I, I guess, I'm, I, of course, I'm biased, right? But where can you see your money helping people who, who are your neighbors? And these people leave us, well, they're with us, and they say, Patricia, that support group is my lifeline. I will rearrange my vacation so I can come to that support group. Patricia, I could not have gotten through my cancer journey without cancer support community. And I can think of no better place to spend your money because we're all about people and people who are ill. It's not their fault. They're ill. Let's help them. And here's the most important thing. We know because we measure our outcomes. We have our participants uh, complete surveys. We know we are reducing their anxiety. And why is that important? Because anxiety suppresses the immune system. So if you're getting your treatment, but your immune system is suppressed, that's not helping you. Or if you're so depressed because of this diagnosis, you won't get out of bed to go get your treatment. That's not helping you get better. So I think it's a very beautiful thing that we're doing. And we do it for the whole family, not just the patient. Yeah. No, by the way, I think that's the most important part is that it's for the whole family, not just the patient. Mm -hmm. I love everything that you guys do. I really do. But I think the family piece is important because as, as a family member who has, we've all been affected by mm -hmm. cancer, you know, we don't know what to do. So mm -hmm. I love that you do that for family. I think yeah. that's, that's really important. Yeah. The caregivers really need it. I mean, if a caregiver is taking someone to care of someone in your family and that patient's not eating and that caregiver is getting frustrated, the caregiver can't yell at the patient or, or get frustrated with the patient, but the caregiver can come to the support group and say, I'm so frustrated with him. He won't take his meds. He won't do this. And then other people who are experiencing the same thing and have learned, have a tool, a skill that you can implement with your loved one. That's going to take some pressure off you as a caregiver. Yeah. I love it. I don't think people think about that enough. So I love yeah. that you do that. Well, Patricia, thank you so much. Oh, I thank really you, Matt. It. I want to sum up the show in a few words, if I can. Number one, you did not take enough credit for your capital campaign, even though you won't get to it. Number two, you had like some really great Patricia splains across the country. Ashley likes me to do a Matt splain, but I think we're going to bring you on all the time to do some. Like you've really given some really important information. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. I think fundraising and board work is really vital and i know that you know a hard part of our job as ceos is working with the board and is fundraising but i love the answers that you gave and i hope our listeners got something out of it i certainly did 
And I wish you a ton of luck and a wonderful 2024. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Really appreciate it. Love what you're doing as well. So thank you. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Matt. So what'd you think of our guest, Patricia? Patricia, like all of our guests, like we talked about, is amazing. Like the amount of Patricia splains, holy crap, Ashley. Like I wanted to do a Matt splain in this, but like Patricia splain, like there must've been 18 of those. That was impressive. She's amazing. There were more Patricia splains than there are underscores in our Instagram handle. That's how many Patricia splains there were. There were, there actually were. She's awesome. And I'm so happy that we did this interview and I hope everybody got what they needed out of it. Uh, especially all those questions from the audience. I love the questions from the audience. It makes me so happy when they call in and ask those questions. And I think our next show is going to be devoted to more about the board and more about strategy and financials. So I'm looking forward to that one because it could be dry, but we're not going to let it be dry. We're not going to let it be dry just like you didn't let Patricia's January be dry. Boom, mic drop. Now, Profit on the Rocks, we're in crisis mode. We like to drink and we don't let people have a dry January. And on that amazing note, I want to remind everybody out there, please continue to submit your questions. You can ask any questions you want about anything, about board leadership, about executive leadership, about financials, about staff, anything you want, we will put them in a show. And we cannot do our show without you. So please, please be sure to send your questions to Ashley. Yes, absolutely. And you can do that. You can email me directly at ashley at envisionnonprofit.com. Or you can find us on that Instagram. Again, nonprofit underscore on underscore the underscore rocks. I always feel like when I say that matter, when you say it, there needs to be like a little clock, like in the cartoons and it says like four hours later. Mm, I love that. <laughs> but do reach out to us, everyone. Also, uh, if you want more information about our show, you can find us at envisionnonprofit.com. And you can also find out about all the great work that Envision is doing or more about COD's coaching, which you heard about in the ad in our show. So that's yet another awesome Envision brainchild. So... Lots going on over on our website, so do check us out, and don't forget to tune in to our next episode. Thanks, everyone.